You guys doing good today? We good, Ray? Awesome. Y'all hear me good? Awesome. Okay, so I'm going to be yelling a lot today. All right, so good to be back. Uh, very excited. Uh, just, just what a long, hellacious week we've had. It has been just insane. Um, we have been getting ready for the Easter service, and uh, I think it was a Wednesday night. Some of the, uh, some of the, the girls from Impact, some of the ladies of Impact came over, and they were making up flyers and stuff. And so we've been doing that. We've been getting, preparing just the, uh, the events we're going to have here uh, during the Easter service. Um, after Easter service, the big barbecue we're trying to have. We're lining up the food and trying to get all that sorted out. And just this, this whole event that we got going on, just, it's been a big just kind of drawing on us on top of planning our, um, you know, our birthday party from uh, Skylar yesterday and all that. Just been insanely busy. Uh, Sarah's been the most busiest of them all, um, and just been in, just crazy. But listen, it's, it's, it's been good. I gave you guys 10 invite cards last week. Y'all remember those? If you were here last week, you got 10 invite cards. It looked like this. If you're like, oh, I wasn't here last week, don't worry about it. There's 10 more on your chair again. And so those 10 invite cards are on your seat. Um, if, if you don't have them, you can go get some from the back. But I would, we're praying and hoping that you guys would just help us out and personally pass out 10 invite cards. Last week I said pass five out to a business, pass five out to your friends and neighbors. This week I'm saying pass all 10 out to people you know personally in your life. So whether it's friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, the waitress, at the place, the barista, at Starbucks, whatever it is, whoever it is, pass one out, invite them to church. And so, you know, I know it's going to be awkward conversations and you're just inviting people in and all that, but it's worth it. It is so worth it. And I got to say that, that on Easter, you will see why it's worth it. Because every card that we pass out has the potential to change someone's life. Just think about that. I said this last week. You guys were in church because someone invited you to church. You didn't just accidentally stumble into church like, huh, I thought this was like, you know, I thought this was the restaurant, you know, like, I thought it was the taqueria, you know, like, you didn't do that, you know. Someone drug you here, someone invited you here. At some point in your life, someone said, hey, bro, I think you should come to church with me. Like, I don't do that, man. And then, or it was like, hey, you know, I really know your family's kind of going to something. I think you should maybe just try to come to church, whatever it is. Or maybe you were like at work and someone said, hey, man, you know, you want to come check out church one day with us? You want to come over here and do this with us? And, and that is where you guys got started. And so this could be the start of someone's new life. So I want you to think about that as we pass these cards out throughout the week and really kind of take them seriously here. So, and the other thing we're going to do in preparing for this next Easter holiday is on the 28th, that's this next Saturday, we're going to meet up here in the parking lot at, uh, I'm going to say just, you know, 10.30. Let's do 10.30 in the morning. And it's a Saturday, 10.30 in the morning. If you didn't party too hard Friday night, you should be able to make it. And um, come over 10.30, and then we're going to pass out these, these invitations going door to door. And um, you're like, oh, that's awkward. I don't know about that. It's okay. If anything, just hang it on their doorknob. And so we have a little string, just kind of loop it on their doorknob and be on their way. If you want to knock on the door and personally invite them, hey, I encourage that. I can train you in how to do some of that. Uh, we've done it for a while. It works really well. But uh, we want to target a couple of neighborhoods. And listen, if, if a lot of us show up on Saturday, we can knock it out in less than an hour. If it's just me and Sarah, it's going to take a while. But either way, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. So I encourage you guys to come out here and help us out with that. All right, if you have your Bibles, open up to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, or as some, some people like to say, Maliki 
chapter 3, or Malachi chapter 3. If, if you don't know where that's at, it's in the Old Testament. Don't freak out. It, just find it. The, the, uh, open your Bible in the middle. Kind of turn. Open it up. You should be in the book of Matthew. Take a, a turn to the left, and you should find it. Malachi chapter 3. As you guys are going there, I'll kind of set you guys up with this. Um, last week, we started a series called Change. And we said that if God is part of our life, and if God is, is with us, and if God is in our lives, and if we have given ourselves up to Jesus, that we should see a change in certain areas of our life. That there are things in our life that should naturally change when we come to know Christ. Last week we talked about relationships. And that was kind of a tough one, but we said when we know Jesus, when we come to know Christ, that the way we view our relationships with boyfriends, girlfriends, our family members, everyone, the way we view our relationships should change. That they're never the same. And we said that there was three questions we had to answer. There was three things that we were going to answer last week, which was, one, what does the world say about relationships? What what does Cosmopolitan say about relationships? What does Oprah say about relationships? What does Dr. Phil say about relationships? What does the the opinion, what does Facebook say about relationships? What does the world say about relationships and how we should have relationships? And then we talked about what does God's word say about relationships? Like what what does God say about how we should love people and how we should have pure relationships with each other? What what does the Bible say about that? And and then we asked the question, which is kind of a hard question, was now that we know what the world says and we know what 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 God's Word says, what are we going to do about it? Like, what are we going to do about, now that we know what what the world says and what God's Word says, how are we going to, I use the word, how are we going to recalibrate our lives to make sure they are in line with what God wants? And that was a pretty intense Sermon. It was a pretty hard thing. I think for a lot of us here, it was tough, you know. But through prayer and through conversation afterwards, we talked it out. I said, don't be that person who gets kind of upset and just kind of like walks out of here and never comes back to church and kind of like defriends me on Facebook and all that and kind of like badmouths me. Like, don't, don't be mad at me. It's just, it's just what the Bible says, you know. And so uh, today we're going to talk about something a little, a little less uncomfortable but still pretty uncomfortable. Uh, we're going to talk about money today money, as if you didn't figure it out when Francis Chan was talking about uh, how he would give away money and how he would re, he recalibrate his life from going from the worldly mindset of what the world said he should do with his money to a godly mindset and how he did that. Having a relationship with Christ should change the way we think about our money, should change the way we think about the way we view money, because it changes the way we secure it, that's the way we make it. It changes the way we secure it, the way we spend it, the way we save it, and the way we share it. God cares about how we do all of that. Now, I know every time I even you mention the M word in church, people are like, oh, man, why did I come to church today? Pastor just kind of, uh, we got Easter coming up. He's trying to squeeze us for some extra dimes and nickels. I get that. No, that's not it. That's not it. This is really something I feel like we need to talk about as a church. But, you know, they're like, oh, don't talk about money, God. Don't, don't, don't talk about money, Felix. Don't talk about something else. Talk about something spiritual. Talk about something like, you know, talk about something else. Anything but money. Like, even the relationship sermon sounded better than this money sermon's fixing to be. Like, talk about something different, right? And that kind of statement, when you say that, like, I don't want, I don't think we should talk about money in church. I don't think we should even mention money. Well, that kind of statement just kind of proves a little biblical immaturity. 
And almost an immaturity in, in, in Christianity when we say that, that we shouldn't even mention money or talk about money. That's, that's, my, that's my thing. And I, don't like, and I don't want the church to even know about that. And it's really immature and it's, it's really kind of dumb to think about that because if you really think about it, money is throughout Scripture. Money is everywhere. And it really tells you where your heart is. If, if you're not willing to let go of that, it really puts it in perspective where your heart is as a follower of Christ. Matthew 6, 21 says that where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Where your treasure is, is also where your heart will be. Adrian Rogers said a faith that hasn't reached your wallet probably hasn't reached your heart. A faith that hasn't reached your wallet probably hasn't even reached your heart. I like to say, tell me where your, you know, oh, show me your wallet and I'll show you where your heart is. What are you investing money into? And it tells you exactly what you love and what you, what you think is important in life. Money is around us every day. It's something that we always have to depend on. It's the medium of exchange for the survival of life. It's things that we need every day. And I like to say this, how can Jesus be the Lord of all but not be Lord of our money? If we can make him Lord of everything without Lord of our money, why should we even make him Lord at all? And he cares about us and he cares... Oh, so much to the point that if he cares so much about us, he cares about our survival. And if money is part of our survival, he cares about how we take care of our money. So yes, money matters to Christ a lot. And money matters to, to the way we live as Christians. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. So I ask you this, if, if, if all evil in the world is directly or indirectly linked to money and somehow don't you think that it's important for us to know all that it is we need to know about money and how to use it wisely and godly versus worldly. Is that right or wrong? That's right. Jesus certainly had a concern for our attitude of money. He talked about this for, uh, throughout his life. He walked the earth for 33 years. And in the 33 years he walked the earth, he said 36 parables. Out of the 36 parables, 16 of them, over half of them, were, had to do with money. Sixteen of them had to do with money and our attitude toward money. One out of every ten verses in the New Testament deals with our attitude towards money. There's verses about faith. There are about 500 verses about faith in the New Testament. Um, Verses about prayer, about 500 verses about prayer. Uh, Money, over 2,000 verses in the Bible talk about money. It's all over Scripture. In fact, you can see it through Scriptures. You remember the story of the widow's offering where Jesus was sitting in the synagogue in the church area, and he's standing there, and these two rich rulers come up, and they give a couple of coins and a little bit of their, their spices and all that, and they kind of give that for the tithe and the offering. And here comes this little old lady, right? And the little old lady comes up, and she gives two little coins, two little, two little mites is what they call them. And she just drops her two coins there, and she walks off. And Jesus is like, that, that woman, she, she's got to figure it out. And the disciples are like, why? What are you talking about? She barely gave anything. And he goes, no, you don't understand. It's not the amount she gave. It's what she gave. She gave everything. And these other two rich guys, they gave just a portion of what they had, which was good. Don't get me wrong. But they held back. She gave all. Even down to the last two coins she had. There's money in there. There's the scripture about the, uh, the unjust servant. Like at the end of the story, Jesus said, if you have not been faithful with your money, uh, who do you expect to commit the true riches you like? Basically, if you can't be committed to the money you have now, what makes you think you're going to get more? 
If you can't take care of the little bit you got, what makes you think that, that I'm going to bless you with more? Because you're not even using it the right way. There's a rich young ruler. I like that one. Where the, the rich young ruler is all hyped up. He loves Jesus. He's got the Jesus t-shirt on probably. He's one of those like, Jesus is my homeboy, cool guy, you know. And he comes over he's like, Jesus, Jesus, oh man, I'm ready to go. Like, what can I do to follow you? How can I learn more about you? What can I do? Jesus is so, uh, dude, you're so cool. What can I do for you? And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, go home and sell everything you have. And, then, and give it to the poor and then follow me. And the guy kind of backed up, took that Jesus t-shirt off took the I am second bracelet off and said, uh-uh, because I like my car. Nuh-uh, because I like my stuff. I like my TV. Nuh-uh, I can't do that. And he walked away and didn't get to know Christ more because he had a love for money. Clearly, God is interested in our review of money. Clearly. Because a relationship with Jesus, again, should change the way Review money from a worldly view to a godly standard of how we view money. And the way I see it, there are three ways in which we can view money. There's three ways. There's the uh, it's all mine way. The all mine way says, I work long hours. I deserve what I have. I save my money. I work hard. I am working. This is my money. I'm making a nest egg of money so that I can have a bunch to live off of and just kind of be a hoarder with that money right there. And I am doing this, and this is all about me, and this is all mine. And if the church wants something, I guess maybe I'll drop a dollar or a 20 at most in the offering plate, but I never give enough to where it hurts. And sometimes I don't even give it all because that's my money because I worked for it. That's my money. There's the, uh, the, uh, the other way is the, uh, the people that say, the tithe belongs to God, but the other 90% belongs to me. It says, I'll give God what I have to give God because I know that I'm supposed to do this. I begrudgingly do it because I don't really want to do it. And I just kind of give it because I have to, because I feel like if I don't give it, then I don't know, maybe I'll get hit by lightning or I'll have a bad day or, you know, something crazy will happen if I don't do this. And then, then so you give that begrudgingly, and then the other the part that you keep of your, of your budget, you're like, okay, now this is all mine. I can do whatever I want with this money. If I want to spend it and just blow it at the bar, I can do that because it's my money. I deserve a good time. If I want to blow it and spend it on things that are uh, um, just superficial in this world, I can do that because this is my money. This is what I earn. This is what I want. That's group number one, group number two. Group number three says that it's all God's. The portion that I'm commanded to give to God, and then everything afterwards that I give above and beyond that portion, and then whatever I keep, the way I spend it honors God. So this is the group of people that say, and this is the, the, the people who believe that everything of in, that's in my bank account belongs to God. And I will use it to honor God, which means that I'm not going to swindle my money on stuff like gambling or stuff like uh, that just doesn't yield more money. I'm going to spend it wisely. I'm going to invest it wisely. And I'm going to honor God with the way I spend my finances. I'm going to save it for college for the kids so they can have a better education. I can leave them something in return I'm going to give above and beyond when needed even if it means I don't even know how we're going to pay the rent but if I see someone in need we're going to sacrifice for that 
I'm going to buy the single mom the, 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 the thing that she needs so she can get started. I'm going to help the, the guy who needs to pay off a debt so he can get out of that, that lifestyle and start new. If that person tries new, I'm going to do whatever it takes with my finances to help other people and to honor God with every moment, every part of my finances. That's number three. There's a radical difference between the first two groups and the third group. The first group that says that uh, it's all mine, this is my money, and then the second group that says that, well, some of it, I guess I'll give it to God, but the rest of it, I'm going to spend it however the heck I want. Those two groups are worldly standards of viewing money. Those are the groups that believe that, well, uh, this is what I deserve. I deserve this. I earned it on my power, with my sweat, with my blood, with my hard work. I earned what I got. The third group is the godly view of money that says that while I may work hard, I may sweat, I may put countless hours in of work and come home dead tired as a dog, ultimately all of that was a gift from God because I couldn't even have the ability to even work hard if it wasn't for the breath of God that was living inside of me to begin with. So you see the difference there? It's this me attitude that, that I earn what I got versus the thankfulness attitude that God has given me uh, an abundance of, of, of just what I need through work. I always tell Sarah when I work a lot of overtime, it's because the church needs something. And I'm like, oh, like this, I did 96 hours this week. And I was like, Easter's coming up. We have to buy stuff for Easter. This is why I'm working so much, you know, that we're going to have to give a, a, a bigger offering because of I work more hours because the church needs something, you know. I always say that because it's ultimately not our money. It's not what we have. It's what God has given us. But when God changes you, he also changes your view of money, and you become uh, more aware of that. So you might be like, I don't understand. Like, I work hard. This is my money. I'm going to challenge you to say maybe you're just not there yet. And hopefully the rest of the sermon kind of helps you out. There's a few uh, misinterpretations out there uh, about the way godly people spend their money. I kind of want to clear those up. I want to start by talking about, of course, the tithe is what we talk about the most here at church when it comes to giving money. And then we'll hit up on the rest of it towards the end of service. And so if you're talking about the tithe, if you're taking notes, this is the first thing about the, the tithe. There's three things we're going to know about, about giving money in the church and the tithe. That the tithe is a, is a definite proportion. The tithe is a simple 10% calculation that God ordained back in the Old Testament. That the tithe is simply 10% of $100. What is 10% of 100 bucks? $10. What's 10% of $1,000? $100. What's 10% of $520? Come on, math. $52. Oh, my gosh. Come on, people. And since the beginning of time, tithing has been God's method for allowing his people to give back and trust him with everything in their lives. Since the beginning of time, he's been doing this. And uh, some of you guys may say, well, man, that's Old Testament law, preacher. That's Old Testament law. That's only what the Old Testament teaches. And there's a lot of people who use that excuse to say, like, well, I don't have to give any money now because Jesus came and kind of did away with the Old Testament law on the cross, and we don't have to follow any of that. And we don't have to do any of that anymore. But I'm about to break that, like, belief in half with the next few verses here because it's actually in the New Testament as well. He says, oh, that's Old Testament law. Well, well check this out. Um, this is— um, 
this, this scripture here in um, Genesis. I'm going to read this to you. This is where tithing kind of originated at. This is a, there was a war going on. There's a battle here. It says, After his return from the defeat of Ked O'Miller, I know I was going to screw that one up big time. That's, this is like Old Testament language here, people. It says, And the kings who were with him from the, from the king of Sodom, they all went out and met him in the valley of Shavi, and that is the king's valley. Now, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought the bread out and the wine. And the priests of God and the Most High were with him. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham, God of the Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God, Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything he had on that day. They took the spoils of war that they had, they had conquered all these countries and, and Abraham had all these things and he had all these, these things with them. And they took the spoils of war and they gave a tenth of it back to the priest as a, a blessing and a, a, a thankfulness for what God has done and brought them through that. So the tithe goes like this throughout history of the Bible. It says that Abraham commenced it. He started the tithe. It says, and and. And this stone in which I have set up for a pillar, this is going on next verse, shall be in God's house, and all that you have given me, I will give a full tenth back to you. So Abraham started this whole idea of giving a tenth back to God and to the church and to the Bible and all. Jacob continued it. Uh, Moses came along, and, and then God gives him the law, and then Jacob is, is, is the, you know, coming up after that, a little further on down the line. It says in Leviticus, uh, it says this, is every tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees is the Lord's and is holy unto the Lord. And if a man wishes to redeem uh, some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And every tithe of the herds and the flocks and every tenth of the animals shall all pass under the herdsman's staff and shall be holy unto the Lord. And see, back in the day, they didn't have much money, but they had was possessions and, and cattle and, and food, and they would give up, you know, a tenth of their cattle a tenth of their, their lambs or whatever it was. They were kind of, you know, ranchettos back then, you know, kind of crazy rednecks. A few hundred years later, uh, Malachi confirmed it here, and, and then uh, we're going to read about that. And then after a few years after that, Jesus commended it. He kind of brought it to full circle. And Jesus says, This is woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. This is in Matthew. He says, For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness, and all these are, ought, have, are all of these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining a gnat and swallowing a camel. You're like, what the heck does that mean? A gnat, camel, I don't understand that. Like, basically what he was saying was, Hey, you guys are you guys are, are, are so into your tithing, which is good. That that's what we want. But you're neglecting the bigger picture. It's not just about giving a tithe. It's about caring for everyone. So you're focused on you know you know little things when you should be focusing on bigger things as well. Not neglecting the little things, but adding on to them as well. So Jesus uh, commended it. Abraham commenced it. Jacob continued it. Moses commanded it. Malachi confirmed it. Jesus commanded it. And if they are there to do that, who are we to cancel it? See, it has always been God's method, and he has always used his people to do his work through that. He uses the tithe to care for the widows and the orphans and, and the people that are within that are being helped by the church. And he also uses the tithe to help take care of things for the church. 
Listen, the water flows freely out of this church, but the piping costs money and the plumbing costs money. Like things like tables and chairs and, and stuff like that all cost money. Like, well, we don't need any of that. Well, if we didn't have any of that, you probably wouldn't even be at this church right now. Everything costs money. Everything takes time. But it's all things that God uses to get his message across to the world. When we do outreaches, that's all of our faithful tithes and offerings being put to work to be used for the advancement of the gospel. Those are all the things that we use that God allows us to, to have. Those are the blessings. Tithing is a, is a delight. This is 2 Corinthians 9, 7. It says, each one must give as he has uh, decided in his heart and uh, reluctantly under compulsion, for God loves a chill forgiver. God loves a cheerful giver. So this is going back to the, the, the way of thinking every two. Like, I guess I'll give because I have to because I feel condemned or convicted for it. Like, no, that God doesn't even want your tithe at that point. God says, be cheerful when you give. Delight in giving because it is, it is so much better to give at that point. Tithing is a privilege. It's a definite proportion. Number two, tithing is also a designated place. Giving your money is to God in a definite, designated place. The local church is where you have membership, or where you have ownership, is where you're being fed, and um, and that's where you, that's where God commands us to be given our tithe and offerings to. Malachi three ten says this. He calls it the storehouse in Malachi. It says this is a part of the temple that was the storehouse, which is uh, within the church. This is when the harvesters, they, they brought back a tenth of the wheat and the corn, and they put it in the storehouse, and they, they in their herds, and they gave birth. They put the herds and everything in the storehouse. Because back in the day, the church wasn't like the church here today. We had like food pantries, and that's kind of the same. But back then, they had like whole barns, and, and they would store grain and food, and they would store cattle and sheep, and they would use some of that for the sacrifices. They would use some of it to feed people, and that was what they used. And so when people would come, they would bring it to their church. So when I say that the tithe and the money goes to a designated place, I mean that when we give to God, we're supposed to be giving to your local church. You're like, oh, man, Felix, I, <laughs> I like to give to, like, you know, uh, the Crusades or whatever in India. I like to give. That, that's good that you can give to, you know, if you want to give to some crazy dude with big hair who's on TV and something telling you to give money, he'll send you a handkerchief that's blessed. If you want to do that, that's fine. I don't suggest that because it's probably a scam, but you could do that, and that's okay, but that doesn't mean you neglect your tithe. When you give to your church, you're giving to where you're being fed and where you're receiving your, 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 your spiritual nourishment. All right, so it's kind of like this. I come to Impact City. I get fed by what we learn here. I enjoy community in Impact City. I am committed to Impact City. In fact, being an owner of Impact City on our covenant, if you sign our covenant, it says that we are to tithe to Impact City. So what if you come to Impact City and you're getting fed and you're having a good time and you're like, I'm not going to tithe to Impact City. I'm going to tithe to this other church, uh, First Baptist fill in the blank down the street. Can you, can, you, can you imagine what it would be like if you went to McDonald's? You're like, all right, all right, all right, here, here, I'm at McDonald's, right? And you're ordering your food, like, okay, I'll take a Big Mac, because I'm old school. Uh, I'll take a large fry. Man, throw in an apple pie. Uh, throw in a five-piece McNugget, a hot and spicy chicken man sandwich, because I got to have one of those for a dollar. And, and just, you know, top it off with a, uh, a chocolate milkshake and a Diet Coke. 
Like, that's your order, McDonald's. I'm surprised you're even alive. And so you go, and they're like, the girl's like, okay, it's going to be like $16.50 for your, 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 your total, right? And you're like, oh, see, great. Listen, thank you for your, for your food, but I'm really feeling burdened for Burger King. Like, I really feel like Burger King needs this money right now. Like, I feel like, like I need to go to Burger King because they're not doing so well right now in the market. So I'm going to take, okay, thank you, and I'm going to go pay Burger King for something they didn't do for me. Like, that's the exact same thing when it comes to the church. Our tithe should go to where you're getting fed, to where you're receiving, you're, you're, you're receiving um, fellowship and community and God's word. That is where it goes. I mean, can you just imagine if that happened? I can imagine what the girl would be. She'd be like, uh, <laughs> I'm fired, you know? And when you do things like this, amazing things happen. God has promised this in, in his word that when you tithe and when you give to the church, amazing things happen. Malachi 3.10 says, prove me. Prove me. That is a, 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 a really, you know, short phrase that says pretty much put me to the test right here, man. Put me to the test. Malachi, the book of Malachi says that God says, put me to the test. Try me. So normally we're not supposed to, to tempt God. We're not supposed to, to kind of, you know, deal with God and test God. But in, this is the one scripture where God says, test me. Test me. Show me. Prove to me that you can do this. And I will, man, I will make it worth your while, son. The one scripture that God says, test me. It says it in 310. It says, test me and I will prove it to you. The tithe is a, is a, a definite proportion which means that there was a tenth that is there, and the tithe is also in a definite designated place. This is the local church. And so when we do this, and when we, when we think about the way we, uh, when we actually tithe, and we, when we're faithful in our tithing, God promises to do amazing things in our lives. And there are things that pop up in life, right? There's hospital bills. Man, I remember when Ryan got sent to the ER, like, every day, day of the year last year it seemed like every time you went to the ER it's like 200 bucks 200 bucks you know glue from the nose for Zach 400 dollar bill you know and there's always things popping up sometimes you have to move unexpectedly you're you know you get kicked out of your apartment whatever it is you gotta move you gotta pay for moving you gotta pay for everything you know things pop up and there's other things that that happen in life you know sometimes your 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 truck is parked in your front yard and someone comes and sideswipes it like mine and it makes you really mad, you know, and so many things happen, you know, and things pop up, and so those are things that come against our giving. Those are things that try to deter us from giving, and then we have our regular bills too, car, college, our TV appliance bill, water, gas, electric. Those are all things that that we have as well, and the, the mindset is, is this, is that if I take care of those things first, if I have anything left over, then I'll tithe, but that's not what God's Word says to do. And I can tell you this till I'm blue in the face, and I can kind of show you these things. You know, I can tell you these things, but I'd rather show you. And so you're probably wondering what this jar of Skittles is for here on the table. I love Skittles, right? Skittles taste the rainbow, you know? Oh, yeah. You want one? There you go, man. So, these Skittles are awesome. They're great. But let's just say this is our paycheck. Let's just say this is our paycheck. And we're like, okay, I'll tithe later. But first, man, 
I gotta pay my car. I gotta pay. I gotta pay my car. I overpaid for my car. I bought new furniture. Got that bill. I got my TV. I love my TV. LED baby. I gotta pay for. Gotta pay for HBO. Directv. I gotta pay for. Oh yeah, I guess I, I'll start being responsible now. Gotta pay for electricity. Cause I want my TV to work. Gotta pay for water. Gotta pay for Wi-Fi. Gotta pay for Grande. Gotta pay for college. A lot of college. And then you had like one left. Does that look like a tenth of what is on here? Like, okay, well, I guess I have a dollar. I guess I'll give that to God. And that's the way we, we view things. And then our, our account is empty. And oh, crap. The kid broke his arm on the monkey bars. I got nothing to pay for it with. And we go get into debt with credit cards and just be a slave to the system and never be able to get out of debt because I'm constantly on credit cards because I have no money in my account. This is the way a lot of us live today. Amen? Raise your hand if you live like this. I used to live like this. It takes a lot of guts to admit that, by the way. But what if, what if we do this? All you type A people freaking out. Oh, there's candy all over the floor. Oh, my gosh. How is he going to? I'm not cleaning that up. If pastor thinks I'm cleaning that candy up, he is mistaken. What if we do this? What if... Instead of using our money like that, what if we use it God's way? And we say, you know what? The first thing I do when I get my paycheck, the very first thing I do is I'm going to give to God what is God's. I'm going to give back his tithe. I'm going to give back the money that, that he has given me. I can give him back a tenth of that. And then comes everything else, the TV and the Wi-Fi and everything else. And you're coming up with college, and then everything's coming. And before you know it, little Timmy breaks his arm, and then everything goes up. And then you're empty again. And you're like, oh no, what do I do? Because little Timmy broke his arm, or the kids collided and they busted their heads up. But what does God's word say? He says, test me in this, right? He says, test me, prove to me. If you give me your tithe, if you give me your trust, if you trust me with all the money that I have given you, if you put me first, watch, I'm going to open up the floodgates for you, right? He says, I will provide for you. And so what does he do? He provides. God will take whatever provisions you need, and he will fill up your cup. And God says, I will bless you. I will fill you your needs, and whatever you need, you will not, you may not have what you want, but you always have what you need. That's a lot of problem. A lot of prosperity people are like, oh, but I want my Rolls Royce. No. You're going to get, you're going to have a, you're going to have a Chevy Cavalier, but you're going to get around. All right, so God is blessing you, and he is always going to fill your cup. But is this what God's word says? No. God's word says, I will open up the floodgates. So God literally says, if you, if you honor me, if you trust me with my, I'm going to provide for your needs, but I'm also going to bless you. And when you think that life is hard. And when you think you can't keep going, I will keep going. I will handle it. My bills. My way. And I will go 
and go and go and go and go. I did that for fun. Don't clap, because a lot of you don't live like this. I get people who say, God, please, I struggle, I struggle. I struggle, and the first thing I ask them, are you tithing? No. That's why you're struggling. Felix, pastor, all these things are, are going by in my life. I'm like, well, are you honoring God with your money? No. Well, then that's why you're going through a lot of stuff. That's, that's the, one of the first things God wants us to do. He wants us to trust him with everything. The world will tell you how to live, and then God will just blow that away if you know and live by the way God wants you to live. When we become Christians and followers of Christ, our lives shouldn't look like an empty jar. They should look like a full, overflowing abundance of what we need and always have what we need. Do this. Test him and see what happens. Let's not have this view of money that says this is all mine and this is what I have and this is what I have and this is what I need because you can't do what God can do. If you have 100% of your budget and you're trying to work it the way that you want to work it, you will never do that. But if you trust in God and if you give him just 10% of your budget, he says he will bless you and take care of you the rest of the way. It is amazing what happens when you trust God and put him first. Let's go ahead and let's pray right now, and let's just ask God to just kind of help us with that here today. Father God, we are so thankful for your word. We are thankful for your provisions. We are thankful for what you have given us. God, we are just so amazed at what you can do. God, you are good. Your word is true. God, forgive us for our unbelief. Forgive us when we believe that we can do things better than you. Teach us, Lord, to have a a godly view of money. God, teach us how we can spend money wisely, how we can invest it in all for your glory, Lord. God, rid us of selfish attitudes. God, rid us of the, the me mindset. And God, thank you so much for dying on the cross, for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for us so that we can have a life that is worth living. Maybe you're here in the room and, and, and you struggle with finances. You say, man, that, that was a really cool Skittles illustration. That was that's cute. But that's just not the way it works in my life, Felix. I really struggle with that. Let me just challenge you today. As we're at every head bowed, let me just challenge you. Just try it. What do you got to lose? You're struggling with money now. If it doesn't work, you're still going to be struggling. So what do you got to lose? If anything, look what you have to win. Try it. Try it for a good three months and see what God would do. 10% of, your, of what you get, give it back to the church. You know what? If you can't give 10, give, give something obediently. And watch God change your life. Watch him provide in ways that that you've never thought possible. He won't give you what you want, but he'll give you what you need. And you will always be cared for. I ask you this. If you say you can't afford to tithe, I will say you can't afford not to tithe. 
I'll leave you with this statement as well as we wrap up this prayer. Lord, be Lord of our lives, every part of our life. If we can't make you Lord of our lives completely, then why should we even make you Lord at all? Lord, we honor you, Lord, we praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.